Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Back to chapter 3, it says a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on Sigadoa. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Here the prophet is praying for revival. In a time where the nation had experienced judgment, he was praying for God's mercy to be poured out. And he said, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. Make your work known. In wrath, remember mercy. The next two words stand out to me especially. It says, God came. God came. God came in response to the spirit to this prophet's spirit-led prayers. In a time of trouble, in a time of need, the prophet prayed and God came. Now, we talk about revival a lot around here. That's not my topic today. My topic is the fact that God came. God came. And when you think about Christmas, the fact of, of the whole matter is God came. And that's why we rejoice and that's why we especially uh, commemorate and, and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, have Christmas celebration is because God came. There, there are two times of the year on the Christian calendar that stand out above all others. And one is Christmas, and the other one, of course, is Easter. God came, and Jesus was raised from the dead. And there's something about the resurrection that is especially inspiring because it it tells us that no matter how dead something is, no matter how far gone you may be, no matter how hopeless it looks, there's life after death. That God can raise you up. He can raise whatever is necessary up in your life. It's not over until it's over and it's still not over when it's over because God can start it all up again. Amen? And so Easter's that time of the year where where we celebrate that. But then there's Christmas And Christmas has a special tenderness all of its own. I know that everybody loves a baby. And that's part of the wonder of Christmas. That God came in the form of a baby. Praise the Lord. But you know, that's not the first time God came. That's not the first time he injected himself and and burst upon the human race. That wasn't the first time. Go with me into to the book of Genesis and go to the third chapter of the book of Genesis. 
Hallelujah. In Genesis chapter 3, We know what happened in in, uh, the book of Genesis. God created man and and woman, male and female. He created Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve were God's highest creation. He, in the sense that no other creation of God has ever been blessed and favored like the human race. Now, there are some other creatures that God has created. There are different uh, uh, orders of angelic beings, regular angels, uh, uh, seraphim, seraphim, cherubim, archangels. There are different classifications of these mighty, exalted creatures that God uh, created. And they live in a, in a realm of glory and splendor that is beyond anything we're familiar with. But as glorious and splendid and magnificent as these heavenly hosts are, upon none of them has grace and mercy been poured out like it has on the human race. When God created Adam and Eve and placed them in, an, in this garden, he placed him in a perfect world where everything they would ever need was provided in abundance. He created Adam and Eve in order to have fellowship with them on the basis of their own free will. Not worshiping him because they had to, but worshiping him because he was their father and and because of love and devotion and as an act of their own will. The Bible tells us that after the, the fall of Lucifer and a certain number of angels, a third of the angels of heaven that fell with him, that after that, the, the angels of God, according to the Bible, were evidently sealed in the sense that they, none of the other angels can fall away from God. They don't have the choice. But God created man in, in view of the fact that Lucifer and those angels who followed him, as an act of their will, they rebelled against God, turned against God, When they were given the opportunity to choose, they chose to rebel against God. In the light of that, knowing that, knowing the risk involved because it had already happened before, God created a race of people, the human race, and again gave us the freedom of choice because he wanted a family based on love and devotion and and a family that would fellowship with him because they wanted to, knowing the risks involved. And he gave, when he gave Adam and Eve, when he created Adam and Eve and gave them everything that he gave them in the Garden of Eden, everything they could need, every, every need they could ever conceive of, spirit, soul, body, every realm was provided for them. 
But of course, we know what happened. We, noticed, we know that the serpent came in, that Lucifer was operating through the serpent. He came in and deceived Adam and Eve, and they transgressed God's commandments. They disobeyed God. They did the, the very thing, the one thing that he told them they could not do. The devil deceived them and tricked them into doing that. And, of course, we know when that happened that sin entered the human race. And somebody said, might say, well, how in the world could God be so foolish? He, he, he knew what had happened before with creatures more glorious than man. Knowing the, the uh, possibility and even the likelihood that man would, would sin, how in the world would he do that? Why would he create man? And, and especially with the knowledge that we have that God knows everything before it happens. So God in his foreknowledge, knowing that man would sin, knowing that man would miss it, why in the world would he do that? Well, God did what he did and placed man on the earth so that he could redeem a race of men who would be purchased by his very own life and brought back into relationship with him in a way that the devil could never overcome and defeat it again. The devil brought ruin he brought ruin to the, to the human family in the Garden of Eden, but God had a plan to work through that to bring a, a redeemer made of the same substance as Adam and Eve. And through that redeemer, bring man back into relationship in a way that the devil would never be able to separate him again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, in the third chapter of Genesis, we know that uh, it's the story of the temptation and fall of Adam and Eve, and we know that they uh, transgressed God's commandment. And it says that in verse number eight, after they had sinned, that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Uh, you know, I've, I've noticed this, that whenever the Lord asks me a question, it's, it's never because he doesn't know the answer. <laughs> Every time the Lord speaks to me, you know, and, and asks me a question, the answer is in the question. And... Uh, he said to Adam, he said, where are you? So Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You see, even though God created Adam and Eve in perfection and gave them everything they would ever need and when you, when you read on down here, they were banished from the Garden of Eden and God put an angel there with a flaming sword to guard the way of the Garden of Eden. He said, Unless, he said, lest man eat of the tree of life and live forever. 
Evidently, the fruit of the tree of life had something in it that would sustain physical life forever. And had Adam and Eve been permitted to get back into the garden and eat of the tree of of life, after having fallen and been separated from God in their spirit, they would have lived forever in that lost condition. But you see, God had to allow death to take physical death, to take its course, to run its course, so that he could send Jesus and to break the power of spiritual death and raise all those who had died in their sins and raise them up again. See, if Adam and Eve had eaten of the tree of life, they would have never been able to participate in the resurrection. They'd have never been able to participate in redemption. But the point that I want to make today is that even though Adam and Eve sinned, even though they had been given everything, even though they had every reason to trust and obey and honor God and live in his blessing, and they had zero reason to distrust God. They had zero reason to reject him. Tempted one time, they turned their back on God, but God came. He came in the cool of the day, walking in the garden, He came seeking that which was lost. Hallelujah. You know, that tells me that no matter what I do, no matter what you do, no matter what you've done, no matter how, uh, uh, like Brother Steve said this morning, even when you feel like you don't deserve it, how many of us know even if we feel like we do deserve it, we still don't deserve it? Huh? let alone when we, when we know we don't deserve it. But in spite of the fact that we, did Adam deserve redemption? Did, Adam, did he deserve God to come back on the scene and look him up and search for him and say, where are you? Go after him? No. God had every right to just brush him aside. Just brush him aside and just start over. He could have just brushed him aside and said, well, the plan of redemption, it's just not that, it's just not worth it. No. He he came to Adam in his time of need, in a time when he did not deserve, he didn't have a, he didn't have any ground to stand on, zero ground. He had no standing before God, nothing to claim, nothing to give God, nothing to bargain with. And that's why when, when he heard God's voice, he slunk away into the, into the darkness to get away from God because he knew he was wrong. But you know what? God said, listen, I've got a plan. In Adam's broken condition, having rejected God, having transgressed God's just, just, one, just one commandment. Think about that. Of all that he had, There's just one thing God said, just leave that alone. And he was so selfish in his temptation. He allowed himself to, to, by the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh, he allowed himself to be deceived. 
and to yield to that. Sometimes we think, boy, when we get to heaven, I'm gonna look Adam up and I'm gonna give him the what for. You know, you caused a lot of problems. Have you ever thought that before? I have. Then I think, wait a minute. How much better a job have I done? Amen. No, God came to seek him, came after him, pursued him when he didn't deserve it. And he pursues us when we don't deserve it. He comes to us. He offers redemption. He offers cleansing. He offers whatever we need. The Bible says that God took and and killed an animal and took the skin of that animal and clothed Adam and Eve with that. And that was a type of the covering of the blood and the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Covered their nakedness. And he told them, he said, there's one coming. He called it the seed of the woman. He said, the seed of the woman is coming. Glory to God, the Redeemer. And so in the beginning, God came. And then we come down to Bethlehem. Go over with me to uh, the Gospel of Luke. Luke. And let's look at chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I want to tell you a little story. In the second chapter of Luke, in verse number 36, it says, Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and, excuse me, had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him, this is the, the, the child Jesus, to all who, were, who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Uh, this woman, Anna, she was 90, she was married. When she, was, when she got married, we don't know exactly how old she was when she, when she got married, but she was married when she was ni- at 91, the year 91 B.C., Jesus was born 4 B.C. Anna was married 91 B.C. Her husband lived seven years, so that means she was widowed in 80, what would that be? Come on, help me out. 80, huh? 84. She was widowed in 84 B.C. And the Bible said from that day, until the day Jesus was born, she was continually in the temple. She had devoted herself to the temple, praying night and day for the coming of the, of the Redeemer. We talk about praying for revival a few years. She prayed for 80 years. 80 years, think of that. There was another man, Simeon. He, he was of the same spirit. The verses just before that says that uh, Joseph, verse 33, Joseph and his mother and marvel at those things which were spoken of. And then Simeon blessed them 
and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. And yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may, may be revealed. Simeon was a man who prayed and was believing God for the coming Redeemer, the coming Messiah. And whenever he came in and saw the baby Jesus, he said, now Lord, let your, he was an old man too, he said, now Lord, let your, your servant depart in peace. I've seen the Christ. I've seen the Holy One. The point I want to make, out, make to you is that these people prayed and God came. Sometimes in certain moves of God, there, there are timetables. There, there are certain predetermined times that certain things are, are going to happen. And when those things are destined or when, or when God plans certain events to take place, he always raises people up to pray for those things because God really can't do what he wants to do in the earth unless somebody is praying about it. And so Anna and Simeon and maybe some others like them prayed and in, in, in Anna's case a long time. You know, Anna saw a lot of things go on in her lifetime. A lot of changes took place in Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas in, in her life. In just before, uh, uh, well, I always, get a, I always get tricked when I go B.C. and A.C. because they count the other way, you know. So it was not before, it was after. In 63 B.C., Pompey invaded Palestine and besieged Jerusalem. He went into the temple that had been built in, uh, uh, in, in the last stages of Israel's time, he went into the temple and plundered it. Now, he came into the city on, the, on a Sabbath, and the Jews refused to fight on the Sabbath. And the slaughter of the, of the Jews in Jerusalem was just unspeakable, just came in with brute force. And like I said, the Jews wouldn't fight because it was on a Sabbath, and he knew that. He just slaughtered thousands and thousands of Jews, went into the temple, profaned it, went into the holy place. A, sh- a few years later, there was a general named Crassus. He came into Jerusalem. He plundered the temple again. Uh, after that came Julius Caesar. You know, the, the uh, Roman Empire went through a succession of kings and, and, and emperors and rulers and Julius Caesar came to power. A little more familiar with him. And uh, he came in, you know, he crossed the, the Rubicon, came in to, uh, to, to uh, Palestine. He defeated Pompey. Uh, he died shortly thereafter, the Ides of March. After him came a, a seizure by the name of Mark Anthony and the celebrated Cleopatra. Uh, after that... Augustus Caesar came, defeated Mark Anthony a short time after that. And so Augustus was the emperor in the time here that we're reading about when Jesus came. So the nation had seen tremendous political upheaval. The nation had gone through these, these uh, tumultuous times and things, things did not look good for Israel. By the time 
Jesus came, Herod had been appointed governor over, over uh, Judea, I think, and Herod was a, an especially uh, brutal dictator. Herod demanded uh, obedience in every facet of life. He completely subjugated the Jewish people. Now, he left their religious institutions in place, and in fact, he was, he was a very shrewd man in fact, in, in to, to, to keep them sort of off kilter in to balance his brutality, he built them a temple. In the place of the old one, he built a splendid temple. It really, uh, it didn't really come close to, to Solomon's temple, but it was much nicer and more glorious than the other temple that had been built in, in, um, uh, in later times in, in Israel. So he, he built them this temple, but he was a, was a heartless man. So Anna lived through all of those changes when it looked like God could not answer, when it looked like politically and nationally all hope was, was gone, she prayed on. Now, those things happened in the political arena, but in the spiritual realm or in the religious realm, things weren't any better. Three, two primary sects had arisen in Israel. And a lot of people kind of read the Old Testament and they go from Malachi over to, to uh, Matthew and they think that the people in Jesus' day were just like the people in Malachi's day. They weren't. The people in Malachi's day had experienced some revival. And even during the years in, in, the, in the times uh, earlier in Israel's history, even when they were backslidden and in idolatry, God always raised up a prophet to every generation. He raised up a prophet who would come and speak to them and draw them back to God. But by the time Jesus come, it had been 400 years, no prophetic voice. No prophet of God coming out of the wilderness and calling the people back, none of that. There's no revival. Now, one thing uh, the, the Babylonian captivity accomplished for Israel was it purged them from idolatry. You know, in the past, they would, get, they would fall into idolatry. God would judge them. He would send prophets to them. They would repent. He would raise up new kings, and, and they would go through the cycle over and over again. By the time they got through with Babylonian captivity and were brought back and led, that was out of their system. It cured them of idolatry but it didn't improve their spiritual nature or their spiritual uh, climate at all. Like I said, 400 years went by, no prophets. And by the time uh, uh, Jesus was born, there was a, a real strong uh, uh, practical religion in, in, in Israel. You had two primary sects. There were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees were... Uh, they were uh, zealots of racial superiority. They thought the Jews were above everybody. Really, they hated anyone who was not a Jew. They were the protectors of the laws and the commandments. They, they reinstated all of the ordinances of Israel that had fallen by the wayside. I mean, they practiced the law down to the nth degree. 
but they were legalists. There was no life in them. They ignored the, the, the holy and the lofty things of the law and just got caught up in the ritual and the ordinances. In, in Israel, there, there developed the, uh, the career of the scribes. The scribes were associated with the Pharisees and the scribes, their duty was to copy the scriptures word for word you know, punctuation mark for punctuation mark. And, and that's all they did was they copied. They were so intent in not missing one little, what we would say, comma or semicolon or any little speck of, of punctuation. And they would memorize these verses and they would count. They counted every letter in the law. Every, not word, they counted every letter and, 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 and made a, a, a legal system built out of memorizing the letters and how many of this letter and how many of that letter, punctuation marks. And, and it was all external. There was no life in it. They, like I said, they were extreme legalists. And the, the, in the, something else, another institution came uh, into uh, play during these days, and that was the synagogue. Synagogue had never existed in old times in Israel. But by the time Jesus came, there was something called the synagogue had arisen. And the synagogue is really a lot like the church in that in the Old Testament, they, they just went you know, to the temple. But by the time Jesus came, the synagogue had almost put the temple in the background because in every community where there were Jews, there was a synagogue. And the people would go to the synagogue and they would uh, hear the, the scribes reading the scriptures because they couldn't read them, of course, themselves. And the scribes would read the scriptures to them. They would have prayer. And then a, a rabbi would get up and teach from the traditions, not just from the scriptures, but all these traditions had developed. And they would teach from these traditions of man. And they had, the traditions were so uh, involved at this time that it, it got, like I said, it got into every conceivable aspect of a person's life regularly. So you had, you had the Roman government on their back. Then you had the Jewish leaders on their back. Jesus said that they put burdens on people, traditions of man that people couldn't even bear. Couldn't even bear. He said they were, they were breaking down under the load of, the, of these laws and these commandments of men and these traditions. It was a terrible time spiritually. You know, in our time, we have the Holy Ghost and we have, you know, Jesus in our hearts and we have, it wasn't that way in Israel. And I said all of that to paint a picture that in spite of such a bleak situation and reality, Anna and Simeon and others like them continued to pray and God came through. I don't care how dark it is. I don't care what the opposition is. I don't care how long it's been. If you'll stay true to God, God will come true and come through for you. In fact, the prophet said, if you'll call on me, I will answer you. The, the, the thing about Christmas that, that inspires me today is the fact that in spite of all of the conditions that existed at the time, God came through in their time of need. He responded to prayers and time, uh, you know, uh, in a time of testing and a time of, of, of almost giving up, 
God came through. Listen, the message today is it's not as bleak for you as it was then. Now, I'm not, I'm not one to get up here and minimize somebody's trouble because people can always say, well, you've never been through what I've been through. That's, that's likely. I can't sympathize with everybody. I haven't been through maybe everything you've been through. But I know this, the Bible gives us record that I don't care how bad it is, you seek God, he will come through for you. He will answer you. He will deliver you. He will make himself real in your time of trouble. And Christmas is a perfect example of that, that you can live every day in your life knowing I don't care how bad it is. I need to get, like Pastor Angela said this morning, my eyes off of me and off of my problem by praising God, put my attention back on him. He will come through again, praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. That encourages me. I mean, that encourages me. I think, oh my, my. You know, we've been praying a little while. Listen, where revival is concerned, we don't have to wait on revival for us. We can, I can have revival in my life every single day. And if I don't, it's nobody's fault but mine. And our church, we can, in one accord, we can pray and we can experience revival. And we have, praise God. And there's revival coming to the nation. There's sometimes there are things that takes a little time, but I'm not throwing in the towel because I know when I seek God, he always shows up. He's never late. He's always on time, praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Think about Hannah, I mean Anna, the prophetess. She stayed in the temple. She stayed there in prayer. She, got, she didn't allow the things that were going on in the nation, the things that were going on religiously, the, the sad condition. She could, have, she could have done what other people perhaps did and just gotten disgusted and, and disheartened and thrown up her hands and said, well, all hope is gone and it looks like it'll never change. No, she just kept believing God. She just kept believing God, just kept praying, kept believing God. Oh, hallelujah. She saw the answer. You can see the answer too. Amen. So Jesus came. God came in the beginning. He came again in Bethlehem. And I'm going to tell you something else. He's coming again. He's coming again. Jesus is going to show up on the planet earth again. Oh, hallelujah. And when he comes back, everything is going to be made right. Amen. He came the first time in the garden to set the stage for the coming of the Redeemer. Everything in the Old Testament, everything that happened to Moses, to Abraham, you know, to, to David, to the prophets, to the children of Israel, everything that happened in the Old Testament was building up to the time of Christ. Well, everything that's happened since then is building up to his return. Everything that's going on in this world is just, it's just setting up the return of the Lord. When you turn on the news and it looks like it's terrible, just know Jesus is coming back. When you turn on the news and it looks like the world's getting worse, just think, oh, it looks like Jesus is coming back. Look how bad it is. Jesus must be on the way. Glory to God. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's gonna make everything right. Let's stand up. Praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. He always comes. He always brings deliverance. He's not through, praise God. He's still a deliverer. I said he's still a deliverer. 
Glory to God. This Christmas season, let's remember that he came. Let's remember that he always comes in answer to prayer. And let's remember he's coming again, glory to God. And when he comes this next time, it's gonna be far more glorious than it was in Bethlehem. Even though, the, even though the shepherds were out on the hillside and they saw the glory of God and they came, you know, and said, oh, we've, we've seen this angelic choir. When Jesus comes back, all of the armies of God are coming with him, praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Woo! Hallelujah. He's, he, there's two aspects of his coming. He's coming, first of all, for us to catch us away. I'm telling you in an instant, in the twinkle of an eye, we're gonna be with the Lord. And then as this earth goes through a time of terrible judgment because they rejected the gospel, he's coming back. We're coming back with him. We get to to be in on that return. Oh, hallelujah. The Bible says he's coming with with ten thousands and thousands of his saints. That's an un, in scripture, that's an innumerable, innumerable number. An innumerable number. He's coming back with all of the saints of God. All the Old Testament saints, all of the of the New Testament church. Oh, glory to God. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.